Our first movie tells the story of a friendship behind prison walls that spans more than 20 years. Welcome to episode 20. That's right, number 2-0 of Middle Brow Madness, an exercise in podcast hubris. My name is Derek Gaudet. Is this podcast produced by Steven Spielberg? Because we're back, Derek. A dinosaur, dinosaur story. story. Yeah. I've been sitting on that joke for like a month. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I thought about... Because... No, you go. I want to. I want to hear what your opinions are on "We're Back" and that joke specifically. Well, I can't remember my take on. I know I've seen that movie because I was once very young as well. Um, but uh, that joke, because here's the thing: I thought about doing that joke, forgot, and then was reminded of it when you did it. <laughs> Great minds think terrible yep. thoughts together. What's going on between Lindsay Lohan and the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia? A wild rumor hit town <laughs> that Lohan and the bloodthirsty crown prince of Saudi Arabia have gotten close, and that he's been flying her around in his jets and showering her with presents, including a gift-wrapped credit card. And when we started asking around, a source in the inner circle acknowledged that they know each other. Now a rep for Lohan, 33, tells us that the pair met just once, around a year ago at a Formula One Grand Prix race. The rep also denied that Ben Salman who has been accused of ordering the 2018 murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, gave Lohan a credit card. Either way, pals of Lohan, who say they've seen text exchanges between the pair, are boasting about what they claim is a new friendship. The rep calls these claims lies. Um, and while the Herbie fully loaded star and the vicious authoritarian would seem to make God. for an unlikely twosome, sources close to Lohan, who have been partly based in nearby Dubai for the past couple of years, told Page Six it is not unusual for the rumor singer to be courted by Middle Eastern dignitaries. All right, where do we start with this one? <clears throat> First of all, whoever wrote the copy on this, you saw an opportunity and fucking went for it. So, kudos. Absolutely. And I want to say that it's it's kind of amazing that uh, tabloid journal Page Six is more willing to anger Saudi Arabia than, like, the New York Times is. Yeah, that's like, you know... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're not gonna, you're not gonna hear this, you're not gonna hear me say this very often. But kudos to Page Six on that one. <laughs> um, and also, Herbie Fully Loaded is the movie you go with. And not also, like referencing mean her girls? music career, like, oh yeah, she run, made that song "Rumors" that only I remember because I like the Witch House remix of it. I remember, I remember uh, "Rumors" just because uh, pop culture has a way of just collecting in my brain. Um, did you ever see that video of Lindsay Lohan trying to, like, steal those children? <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> no. <laughs> what? Uh, so there's this video online. What are you talking about? <laughs> there's this video online where uh, Lindsay Lohan, speaking in uh, broken Turkish. Uh, okay. <laughs> is trying to accuse a, a family of homeless people of stealing refugee children, and then she attempts to steal the children she thinks are refugees from this homeless family. Oh, no. Lindsay, what are you yeah. doing? Yeah. Lindsay Lohan has had some adventures lately. I highly recommend everyone look them up. 
let's, let's just say back. she's a fan of Turkish authoritarians or authoritarians in general. So how do we know that she? How do we know that this is not like a weird psyop? <laughs> the, how do we know that? How do we know that Lindsay Lohan is not a CIA asset? <laughs> how much money would the CIA have to pay Lindsay Lohan to do this? Not a not lot. much anymore, right? I mean, if this was like 2005, maybe like you could. You, see, I can't afford that, but. Mm. In 2019, uh, I feel like I could afford to have Lindsay Lohan do something for me. We still love you, Lindsay. Huh? We Lohan, do. I, I, I hope you like get the help you need because you seem like you need some help. And I don't mean that negatively. I mean that sincerely. You said she was 33. That just broke my heart. Because I'm 31. I'm like, fuck. I mean, ah. Only two years to get involved imagine. with uh, Mohammed bin Salman. Yeah, I gotta find, I've got to find an authoritarian to seduce. <laughs> There's a lot of them out there. <laughs> no shit 2019 is uh dirty with authoritarian governments if you want to believe that Ch- chock full of fascists for me to fillet oh god that's just the worst term thanks for that it was it was also the most assonant term which is why i used it <laughs> <laughs> um so usually we don't always i mean we might are there any movies with Lindsay lohan on this list is the parent trap on this list control f parent i don't trap. think so it is not i don't think parent traps on this list what about herbie fully loaded nope what about that movie where uh, she got killed by a glass ask, axe? Rather, was that? A I know glass you killed ass? me. Just a crystal donkey fell on her. <laughs> I believe that's. Uh, I believe that was called. I know who killed me. Sure is uh, a movie that is better than you remember it being, but still not very good. Anyways, Derek, what I, do we usually do on this podcast? <laughs> we talk about motion pictures. We talk about movies. We've we been do. recording for twenty uh, minutes, but because the first bit didn't work, and. Uh, and we also haven't recorded for my, a couple weeks, so. Yeah, the, the, we're like, we, we took some time off, but we're back, baby. And, uh, back, back with a fucking vengeance, it would seem, because, uh, you didn't hear the entirety of our intro bit, but we have indeed been recording for 25 minutes at this point. Um, but usually we talk about movies on this podcast, and specifically, we talk about the Internet Movie Database Top 250 Movies of All Time. Only the so, finest films, for our eyes. Yeah, Mostly. Uh, a lot of these movies are good. A lot of them are bad. That's kind of a boring take, but it's true. What do you want? Um, so what we've done, the whole conceit of this podcast is that we've put in, uh, these 250 movies plus six additional movies, uh, that we picked, uh, three that I picked and three that Isabel picked. And we have a giant single elimination bracket. And through the tried and true method of, uh, pitting one movie against the other and see which one comes out on top, we hope to find eventually... Sometime in like 2022, the best movie of all time, asterisk. And we also have a couple of rules that we try our best to follow. Uh, we also, uh, Since this is a two-person operation, we have uh, vetoes, since there obviously can be times where we disagree. And not to spoil anything for the next couple of episodes, but I think that might happen a couple times. Uh, we have vetoes. We uh, have four vetoes for the first round, which we are still on. And uh, I've used one of my four vetoes that were allotted at the beginning of this whole uh, this whole this whole charade, and you have used two, Isabel. Did I? Would I use the second one? I believe you used it on Rush, so you wouldn't have to watch Grave of the Fireflies again. Oh yes, 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 yes. I, how quickly I forget. <laughs> oh man, that that is like that's a great episode because well, we had first of all we had a great discussion about those two movies. But, uh, not to toot my own horn, but I think I had a very good reaction to you, uh, basically, uh, putting Grave of the Firefly out of its misery, so to speak. (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, so now we're at this point in the bracket, and uh, we're going to keep on trucking, because uh, last, uh, if my math is correct, uh, we have 19 episodes, and there are f- uh, two matchups per episode. So that means we're about to do our 39th and 40th matchups out of a first round where there are 128 matchups. Oof. When you put it that way, that is, that's rough, Derek. We're about a third of the way up the bracket for round one. So anyway, uh, let's not uh, let, let's avert our gaze from the giant mountain we have to climb and just focus on the next step ahead. But the next step ahead involves some of the worst movies that we've seen so far. <laughs> oh boy! So this time around, we have Downfall versus Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and Fight Club versus The Handmaiden. Holy moly! So should we just get right into this? Uh, yeah. So, uh, Derek, you're a big fan of Hitler. Um. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I mean, I like when, when <laughs> I was gonna say, let me do the tail of the tape for our first matchup. Yeah, sure. Tell us about your favorite guys. Yeah, uh, my my favorite my favorite people. All right, so let's do this. Downfall, uh, which is the one hundred nine one hundred and nineteen seed. This is in the top, the, like near, like this is in the top half of the bracket. Yes. Um, downfall, uh, or uh, if you're if you're of the German persuasion, Der Untergang. <laughs> I hope I'm saying that correctly. That's German's a funny language. I'm. I just want to say that German is a very funny language. Uh, I'm German. I'm allowed to say that. I can't. <laughs> you can't get mad at me. Uh, let's see. Uh, directed by Oliver Hirschbiegel. Uh, written by Bernd Each. Mm. I should have should have written this down. L- uh, written by Bernd Eichinger. I hope that's how you say it. Probably not. Based on. Based on Inside Hitler's Bunker by uh, Joachim Fest and Until the Final Hour by Total Junge Melissa Muller. Is that two people or one? Man, we are rusty. Or I am rusty. Uh, starring Bruno Gantz, uh, Alex- uh, Alexandra Maria Lara, who was in Rush. This is her second time on the show. Uh, Karina Harfush, Ulrich Mathis, and Julianne Kohler. Uh, it was... Uh, I didn't get a, a conversion for the budget. It cost 13.5 million euros, but it did make 92 million dollars, which is not insignificant. Versus, Man, that is weird. I just looked on. That is kind of strange that the uh, Wikipedia page has the euro budget, but the dollar box office. That's strange. Yeah, and uh, I'm not going to bother checking for awards. Who cares? Probably, uh, probably against- won a lot of them. <laughs> against three billboards outside Emming, Missouri, written and directed by Martin McDonough. Uh, starring Francis McDormand, Woody Harrelson, and Sam Rockwell. What uh, cost about twelve to fifteen million dollars, according to Wikipedia, and was a bona fide hit, uh, one hundred fifty nine point two million dollar take, and uh, did pretty well, so far as I remember in um, in Oscar play. Uh, this one I'm going to pull up because I think it might be relevant. It uh, won two uh, two awards: best mm-hmm. actress for Francis McDormand. And best uh, bleh, supporting. best supporting actor uh, Sam Rockwell, but was nominated for one, two, three, four, five other ones. So it went two for seven. It was th- there was a whole hullabaloo about this film whenever it came and, out, and it uh, was the talk of the town. Real quick, worth noting that not only did uh, McDormand and Rockwell win an Academy Award, they also both won the Golden Globe Awards, the BAFTA Awards, and the SAG Awards for their respective roles, which is performances, yeah. That's a lot of awards for two of the shittiest things I've ever seen. But, yeah, I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself, uh, Derek. 
Uh, let, let me put on my defend Hitler hat. <laughs> Wait, are, are, are we starting with downfall? I'm, I'm, I was just, I was going to start with downfall and lead into uh, into three billboards. Okay, you were going to so, say you uh, you don't agree with all the uh, the social policies, <laughs> but you think the economic policies of uh, Nazi Germany were doing great. I would like to say for the record that <laughs> yes, let's let's before we get to into these. Uh, these dicey jokes here that we're probably going to cut out. Uh, let's uh, Bef- before Isabel fucking defames me on the show that we both do. Before Isabel defames me like the friend she is, let me just say that in no way do I support or condone any policy uh, that was uh, that was put into put into being by Hitler's Third Reich. <laughs> Feels like a weird thing to have to say, but, but it is go. 2019, so mm. Ugh, rough. Yeah. Um. So downfall is better as a meme than a movie. Better as a meme than a movie. That's like the that's kind of the sad truth because functionally, what this is like plot wise or story wise, it is the last. It's the last dying breaths of the Reich. Germany is like within a hair's width of surrendering, but that wily Hitler, he don't want to surrender. <laughs> God. Um, and so it's basically, um, it's a, a, a feeble rheumatic Hitler played by Bruno Gantz, uh, the great Swiss actor who passed away a couple years ago. I believe he's Swiss. I don't want to be saying, saying some wild shit. Um, he is. He is. Um, and so, but he's most and, famous from uh, German films like uh, Wim Wenders' films and uh, Nosferatu. And Wings of like Desire. Uh, yeah, and um, great actor. Uh, and I mean, I, I think I liked his performance here more than you did. I agree. I, I thought it was bad. I thought it was bad. Okay, I thought it was okay. I thought it was fine as far as portrayals of the Führer goes. <laughs> What's your favorite portrayal of the Führer, Derek? Uh, Charlie Chaplin in, um, in, uh, in, uh, fuck. In fuck. A Great Dictator. Everyone's favorite film. Fuck. fuck. Colon, The Great Dictator. A film we will talk about later. Yes, a, a great portrayal. Um, not technically Hitler. Not technically Hitler. But, but for it all is clearly Hitler. Hitler. Um, yeah. no, continue, sorry. So, uh, this Hitler is, like, ailing, rheumatic, uh, like, like, I don't know, uh, Gans plays him with, like, sort of a Parkinson's tick, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so his inner circle kind of jockeys for that top spot, even though the Reich is crumbling. And uh, and this is all told through the eyes of his secretary in this last sort of portion of the Reich. And Who we see real life footage of at the beginning and end of the film. Yeah. Um, which I don't think the movie needs. No. Like, but also the movie needs a lot of other things. So I don't even think if it needed it, it's exactly doing what it's trying to do. I mean, it is kind of driving the point home that this is an actual thing that happened. But I don't know if that's a point that needs to be driven home in a fucking Hitler movie. I mean, you say that, and maybe in 2004, that would have been, I would have been more convinced by the argument. But also, like, seeing how things have gone in the world, I think, I think there is a, there is a reason to have that in there. And I think there's a relevance to running people like, hey, this is not just, a fiction. This is a thing that actually happened. This is a thing that people actually lived through, and some mm-hmm. of those people are still alive right now. Um, but I do agree that as far as the structure of the film, it 
does feel a little bit superfluous. What else feels superfluous mm. is a lot of the other sections of the film. Like, the biggest problem I have with this film um, is not, I think, the the most common criticism of it, and one I partially share, is that it humanizes uh, the Reich too much. And I feel, I, okay. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I agree with parts of it. I feel like parts of it is too generous. Um, the, the like, freeze frame uh, or... or uh, like pictures and like where are they now slides at the end are a little fucking much um mm-hmm. but i think that i'm not inherently against the idea of creating a film in which we look at the the human side of the third reich uh yeah, it, and, and, yeah humanizing does not necessarily mean valorizing correct that's important to keep in mind um uh which was that was one of the main criticisms the film got but the film the criticism i would have would actually be um, criticizing something a lot of people praised. A lot of people said this movie was very claustrophobic and tense. I felt it was not, and I felt a big part of that is because they kept going out of the bunker. The film should have stuck with the bunker basically the entire time and really just kept ratcheting up that tension, kept like creating a pressure cooker there, because every time those doors open and we see people outside of the bunker, uh, all that pressure gets let out, and you don't actually have a chance to build anything up. I agree with you, because... Like this, like we've talked on this on this show about how there's this weird thing on this list where people really like movies that are long, and that there's like a, almost a, a sunk cost return on investment thing. But I will say that if this movie would have l- like limited itself to the fewer bunker and was like this, it could have been four hours long, and I think it would have gotten the desired effect. Because as it stood with all the sort of outside stuff, it's like, we should have never seen a single explosion. We should have just heard them. Mm -hmm. Agreed, 100%. So, I don't think that, yeah, this movie could have been, like, like, how how much would you figure, how much time do you figure we spent in the bunker in terms of movie time? Like, maybe, like, hour 45, maybe? Uh, Something like, like, uh, like a third or a fourth of the movie. Okay, so if 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 there if someone if some intrepid uh, intrepid editor out there were to just do a supercut of just the scenes in the bunker and would never go outside, that's probably a better version of this film. Agreed, hundred percent agreed. And, and I feel like that also like the problem uh, the other problem with going outside the bunker so much is we get too much information about what's going on outside of this atmosphere, whereas the most effective moments in the movie are where things are happening. But it's all just told by generals or all just told by people outside and you don't always know if what they're saying is accurate or true. And you're not sure what information is actually getting into this atmosphere of uh... paranoia. Yeah. Um, also, the movie's kind of butt ugly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't look great. I understand that it's supposed to be like like dour and like like brown and not fun. But there's not really a memorable image in this film except for like... Like Hitler and Ava Braun getting married. Well, it's it's a lot like it looks like every other like early two thousands Oscar bait film, except it happens to be German. Yeah, except it happens to be German. We'll talk about other countries doing Oscar bait a little later in our series of episodes. Okay, interesting. I'm I'm interested to see where that goes. But yeah, mm. I feel like there there's there's some things in this film that are like okay. I like I as much as I am not the biggest fan of uh, how. Excuse me. Uh, how Bruno Gantz plays Hitler. I feel like a lot of the other performances are very good. I feel like uh, a lot of the 
dialogue is interesting and the way the story is structured is interesting, especially if you take out those parts that are, in my, in our opinion, uh, superfluous. Um, mm-hmm. But in general, like, I feel like a lot of this film's renown was A, it's about Hitler, and uh, mm-hmm. B, it is long. And as long as hell. those two things end up, like, coagulating together into, like, a good movie. Almost, almost universally. Like, can you think of a single, like, movie about Hitler or Nazi Germany that's, like, over two hours long that was ever negatively received? Like, I, li- I literally can't. Uh, over two hours? Um, well, offhand, no. But all the movies I can think of about Hitler are either not exactly about Hitler or are about Hitler, like, in passing. <laughs> or about Nazism in passing. Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, like, like... Um, when you think about something like Schindler's List, which we talked about earlier, which we both thought was, I think, better than Downfall is by a good degree. Oh, 100%. Also, like, Sp- no Spielberg is a significantly better director and creator of images. Um, but even that film... I don't know what else this this guy Hirschbeagle did. Uh, let me check this out. See if, I've, see if I've heard of any of these other movies. Um, das Experiment. <laughs> uh, the Invasion. The Five Minutes of Heaven. Diana, 13 Minutes. And Criminal, colon, Germany. Haven't heard of any of those. The inv- the Invasion was that fucking remake. Was that that fucking remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Oh, shit, it was. With Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig. With Nicole Kidman. That's right. That movie sucks ass, too. So, hey. <laughs> good job. Did you see it? Did you see that? Yeah. It's not very good. Is it bad? It's, uh, no. It's, it's I mean, yes, it is bad. It's very bad. Uh, and, like, I'm a big fan of Nicole Kidman, as uh, everyone who knows me knows, but it is. I mean, probably the I mean, worst telling of that story. I mean, who isn't a fan of Nicole Kidman, really? Oh, I have a joke, but I can't remember the person's name, so uh, I guess it's not going to happen. Was Tom Cruise? Nope. Uh, that would have been a better joke. But hold on. <laughs> I'm, I'm pulling up the joke. I'm Googling this joke. This joke. Um, hold on. Richard Roxburgh, the Duke of Monroth. He probably doesn't like Nicole Kidman. Who the hell That's is that That's a guy? Moulin Rouge joke that I took six hours to tell. <laughs> Great film. We should we should watch Moulin Rouge instead. Uh, if if I mean, you've ever been horny for Nicole Kidman, may I recommend Moulin Rouge? I mean, I mean, I'm 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 a person who exists in the world, sure. <laughs> um, although, if if we could take two seconds to talk about Moulin Rouge rather than talking about this dour bullshit, yeah, sure. Um, I haven't seen Moulin Rouge in like 15 years, and I wasn't wild about it then. I'm sure I'd be more generous to it now, but I'm like allergic to like jukebox um, musicals, jukebox musicals. Like, like, in, like, va- like, in overall, but specifically anachronistic, uh, jukebox musicals. That is the stupidest thing to be mad about. We all, we all have our, yeah, we all, we all do, our... we all do. Like, I got, it's I just, got mad I about a very stupid thing in The Handmaiden earlier today, so I cannot get mad at you at all, but. It's like, Jim Broadbent singing Like a Virgin is one of the dumbest fucking things I've ever oh, seen. Oh, fuck off. It rules. For it real. rules so For hard. For real. <sighs> it, I can't. I can't. It's, I, I mean, I like that song and I like Jim Broadbent, but I don't like those things together. It's almost as good as, um, what do you call it? Ewan McGregor singing Roxanne. <laughs> Wonderful. That's what I think about that. Wonderful <laughs> stuff. I, I'm a big fan of Moulin Rouge. I still defend it. I think it's genuinely a very good film. But... I I am willing to have my mind changed about the quality of this film. I'll get to it again one day. On Monday? On no one day. Oh, one gosh. day I, I will get. to I was it. like, shit! I didn't. I didn't expect it that quick of a turnaround. Uh, that's a, a Baz Luhrmann joint, right? Sure is his best film. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, I could see how that could I be. really want to see his uh his Gatsby ever since I saw like a Twitter post making fun of it showing like a there was a video of the editing in it that looked fucking insane. Like it, it looked like it was like three yeah, different think... movies edited together and all of them were edited poorly but in a fascinating way, so I really want to see that, but um Maybe, maybe we'll, uh, maybe one, one day when the brackets were, like wrapped up, we could do like the Baz Luhrmann miniseries that <laughs> other podcasts are too cowardly to do. God. Um, you know what else people are too cowardly to talk about? <laughs> What's that? Uh, racism, police brutality, sexual assault, all topics covered thoughtfully and beautifully in three billboards outside mm. Ebbing, Missouri. Darkly comic, a renegade masterpiece, says some review on this poster I can see. Derek, do you uh, do you agree with those opinions on three billboards outside Ebbing, Misery? What was uh, Ebbing Misery? Indeed. Uh, what, what what was the quote on the poster? Darkly comic, a renegade masterpiece. I am willing to concede to darkly comic. Uh, even that, I'm kind of iffy about. That, the like actually funny like, stuff is never the dark stuff. The actually funny stuff is like uh the like 19 year old wife she's the funny part of the movie uh yeah she's yeah she's pretty funny so so this is a martin mcdonough joint and it's about uh police brutality in the midwest racialized violence sexual assault blah 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 that's not the interest like this movie is um i hesitate to call it good <laughs> i did like it but i do hesitate to call it good which is weird because i already because i like a bunch of crime movies with dubious with dubious politics. Oh, certainly. Like, I, like um, I think, like, we're going to talk about Die Hard later on the bracket, which is basically conservative mm-hmm. power fantasy, as are most action movies, yep. to be fair. And yep. I think Die Hard is one of my favorite films ever. It's fucking rules. Like, the fact that a movie has bad politics is not necessarily enough to damn it for me. No. What damns Three Billboards uh, for me is the fact that, A, I don't like the script. I think the script is actual ac- absolute ass, which is shocking because I, I really like McDonough. And I also think that, like, it's the way it attempts to use those hot button, like, very serious and very topical issues is clumsy and strange. Not even necessarily in an offensive way, just in, like, a what did you think this would do kind of way? Like, what did, what did Martin McDonough think what he was accomplishing by using the phrase people of color torturing? I think, uh,. <sighs> See, this is the thing that like it leads me to believe that I don't even think it's weird, Martin. I don't even think Martin McDonough takes any of this seriously, which is kind of damning. I agree. The fact that like essentially the movie ends because we get DNA tests from a person from a person's skin that was scratched off by another person. I I think this is like almost like like it's almost like it's almost like a Coen Brothers movie, but. For knucklehead, <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, I'm a knucklehead. <laughs> okay. And and there's there's I think a lot like there's a lot of this movie that's really dubious. I th- I it's just like <laughs> it's hard to defend this movie. <laughs> um. All right. Let's let's see if I could let's see if I could talk my way like t- talk my way into a take. Yeah. Go for it. I think that this movie. It, like as far as the script is concerned, I think on a moment there's a lot of like wild choices in this movie, and I think moment to moment, it mostly works. Like 
And as there's, because it's not, it's, this is a fake deep movie. It tries to be about a ton of things when really it just wants to be like a small town crime movie. Like, I think the thing that sinks this movie more than like anything else, more than like the politics or like the wild choices some of the actors make sometimes is it's portent. And since Martin McDonough appears to not take any of this seriously, he doesn't take the portent seriously either. So in trying to have its cake and eating it too, it does neither. I I could see that as a defense. I I, I definitely agree that the, the, the roughest moments of this movie are where it's attempting to be serious and attempting to quote-unquote say something because you can tell its heart isn't really in it. Mm-hmm. Like... The fact that um, um, Sam Rockwell's character, who is a racist, homophobic cop, who mm-hmm. literally throws a guy out the window uh, and has a history, apparently, of torturing black people, he becomes not homophobic because a gay person gives him orange juice in the hospital. That's a thing that happens in this movie. Is the guy in the hospital gay? Yeah, he's the one he threw out the window. Oh, uh, the Caleb, what's his face? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Caleb Landry Jones. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, um, and this is a movie where there is a scene, maybe my favorite scene in the movie, because it's the worst scene in the movie, where uh, Francis McDormand, as Mildred Hayes, is uh, out near the billboards, and a deer, the worst CGI deer you could imagine, comes up to her, and she has a, <laughs> comes up to her, and she has a, I literally uh, didn't mind. A deep conversation with this deer and it's the most out of place thing in the movie you know what i didn't even mind like it was it was a moment it was a moment where like the movie was like earnestly trying to like like it was like probably the one earnest moment in the film god i I feel like if this movie movie leading into its irreverence more i feel like i'd be more willing to give it some slack it's the fact that it does things like it'll it I do think uses, it's plenty uh, irrelevant, uh, not irrelevant, but irreverent. I, I think it uses really heavy subjects in ways that attempts to grab meaning from those without actually considering it. Like, like, I, you, I would do, agree. Do you remember the part where? Do, okay, so do you think this is a good script? I think it's a. <laughs> you're baiting me. I am. Um, I think there are good part. I think there are good parts to this script. Do, I think this. I think that, like structurally, it's pretty linear and fine. There's a lot. There's a lot of ham in the script. It's a weird script. It's not a script I hated. Let's put it that way. Do you think one of the strongest parts is um, when we get a flashback to the day that Frances McDormand's daughter died, <laughs> and um, while she, the, uh... they're, they're arguing, and while she walks off the uh, out the door, uh, Frances McDormand's daughter, who is immediately afterwards raped and killed she says i hope i get raped and then francis mcdormand says i hope you get raped too is that one of the stronger parts of the film no okay because okay. this is also i am being a bit a, of a dick to be fair but also this like is also this is also an edgelord movie where you've got three protagonists who are fucking dipshits and awful people doing all sorts of shit stupidly and not well thought outly and yeah like, fucking Frances McDormand isn't some... She's a protagonist, and she's not good. No. no one's in this movie's good. But the, she's like, it's she's too like lighthearted anchor. to be an edgelord movie. An edgelord movie takes it? itself seriously. Like, like Seven takes itself deathly seriously. 
But this, that's Prisoners. The thing. this movie has a lot of. Okay, yeah, sure, all right. Uh, this is not a dungeon movie, is what you're saying. Oh so, no, but it's also I just. Uh, I think that um, Martin McDonough thinks that the N word is way lighter than it is. <laughs> Let's say that. Right. Okay. Sure. Um, yeah, I think this is this is maybe like a weird intangible thing, but I 100% think this movie would have been better if an American had made it. Yes. Yes. And that's like that's like a minor thing. And I'd also like to point out. And this, uh, this is, was actually pointed out in the Letterboxd review by uh, your friend and mine, um, BG5000, mm-hmm. uh, that there is a difference between redemption and atonement. Sam Rockwell atones and is not redeemed because he's still the same prick at the end of the movie. He, All we he, have at the end of the movie is two pricks going off to kill a guy because maybe he did something. Who knows? I pretty i see where that reading comes from i also think that from my watching of it it's not supported i think that like the way that that things are framed and the music that's used and the way that 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 his decisions are placed in the context of the film and the way they're shot seems like it's attempting to say he is now a better person and he has now be- uh, become I... a good and not necessarily a good person but he has become a person that maybe we can have more sympathy for and, and almost some amount of love for. I don't know. Like, like, I, I, like, I, I don't know about that. I, I think that like at the end when they both jump in the car and they're like, basically we're like, we're going to go kill a guy more or less that, yeah. that the movie is on their side. No, I think that the movie, as we've like established is pretty ambivalent about it because it doesn't really have, it. it's weird to talk about. It's weird to say this about a movie whose sort of central incident is, like, brutal crimes, but there's not really a kind of emotional anchor to this. And so what we're left with is a movie at the end that says, well, guess they're going to do that. It's, 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 it's frustratingly, it's a nothing movie. It tries to say so much. I I think we disagree with how it ends or, like, our reading on the ending, but I do agree that it is a movie that doesn't actually do anything. I mean, there are parts of it, like, I like the Lord sort of hothouse cranked to 11 performances. There are parts of the script I like because uh, Martin McDonough is really good at writing flavorful dog shit. And I love flavorful dog shit. And I mean, the movie like looks pretty and all this, but it's a nothing movie in trying to say a bunch of things. It's trying, it's, it, I like the tonal whiplash, but it doesn't nail the tonal whiplash it tries to mix portent and not whimsy but portent and irreverence and can't quite nail it i'll just say that in bruges should have been on this list instead yeah in bruges is 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 streets ahead of this movie that's not even (laughs) that's not even like i i will I i will sort of say i sort of liked this movie it got laughs out of me i was into it but In Bruges is like a fucking masterpiece. Okay, so out of these two movies, so that being said, which one are we gonna choose? <laughs> I think three. I think Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri is the better film. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, mean, I would much. I would much I would rather, rather rewatch watch it, this yes. again. Yeah, like, and who knows? I don't care for knows, either maybe- one, but I think that Three Billboards eight shorter. <laughs> Not to keep going back to it that, is but it is shorter, and it's. At least is trying to do something. I feel like Downfall is not really taking the same wild swing that Three Billboards is. 
No, it, I mean, three billboards, you know, respect to Martin McDonough is a wild swing. That is a blank check movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I would much rather watch three billboards again than downfall. <laughs> okay, agreed. So congratulations, three billboards outside Emming, Missouri. You move on to round two to face the winner of our next matchup. Which this next this uh, next matchup, matchup is going to be is... contentious, I feel like. I feel like this is going to be a bit more contentious. This is one of our most evenly so, matched matchups. Let me just say that, but continue. I mean, I have a clear winner in my head, but we'll, we'll get to that. So, uh, our second matchup of the show, the 10 seed, the 10th best movie of all time, Fight Club, directed by David Fincher, uh, written by Jim Ulls, based on the book of the same name by Chuck Palahniuk, starring Brad Pitt, Edward Norton, and Elena Bottom Carter. I mean, there's also Meatloaf and Jared Leto, but, uh, you know, uh, did this get any kind of, like, uh, awards play? Uh, I don't think so. No, it was pretty, Doesn't like, look- it was relatively underseen and, like, underappreciated when it came out. It was nominated for one Oscar for sound editing, but lost to The Matrix. Uh, but it was a hit. $63 million budget, $101.2 million take. And uh, I think also, I think this is more relevant to our current conversation, David Fincher's last chance to get into round two. Which is sad. A director we'll we both like. I mean, the fucking, like, the fucking uh, selection committee, a.k.a. the users of the Internet Movie Database, fucked up because his best movie... Zodiac is not here. Yes, that is that is wild that Zodiac is not it's on this list. It's nowhere to be seen. Or like, the, the um, social network should I, absolutely be on this list too. Not even like from... Uh, also, 100%. Like, that is such a crowd-pleasing movie too that I'm shocked that it's not on here. But hey. That's a fucking masterpiece. It should 100% be on here. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does have like a legitimate, like a legitimate masterpiece on this list. Gone Girl, but it lost. <laughs> Look, if it hadn't gone up against the wonderful anime... I would have uh, let it. I would have let it go through, and like we said in in our uh, quarter uh, quarter of the way through wrap up, like when we did that little yeah. uh, overview, that was the saddest one I, uh, I from leaving the list. Like I really wish that could still be on here. I love that movie, but I like your name more. So, the blood of David Fincher is on all Weeaboo's hands, <laughs> and I want you to know that. Yeah, they'll fine with it. They're fine with it. <laughs> all right, so that's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, versus the this is this was actually a fun one to have in the bracket uh the 247 seat sneaking right in under the uh right under the buzzer the handmaiden directed by park chan wook uh written by park chan wook and chung seo kyung based on fingersmith by sarah waters starring kim min hee kim tai ri and ha jung woo and uh we have uh, an approximate. Uh, we have an approximation of the budget here, approximately eight point eight million American dollars, and made thirty seven point seven. So uh, a good kind of like uh, mid budget hit. Uh, the likes we don't really see. I don't. Have you seen anything like The Handmaiden? I don't think I have. It is. Uh, it's a unique film. <laughs> it is. It is the. I think. Are we, are we starting with The Handmaiden? Can I get into my opinions on it? No, no, we're going to start with Fight Club. Okay, but yes. It- we're going to start with Fight Club because I think Fight Club is, um, I think, maybe the richer text of the two, which is not necessarily to say the better movie, but in uh, in the grand, like, Fight Club is almost, um, it's, it's, uh, it's 20 years old, right? Mm-hmm. And in that time, it's become kind of like this, 
this signifier for like hot couch guy dorm <laughs> it's a it's a hot couch guy movie it's a dorm room like staple um it's it's every bro's favorite movie and it's been a punching bag for this for like 20 years and the sad fucking truth is this movie whips yeah i, I, I hate to say it I, it's really good the the way i'd come i'd compare it to this is gonna be a little bit of a strange comparison but bear with me um I would compare this to be th- what you're making a strange comparison, <laughs> um, a f- making a weird reference, a film version of the video game Bioshock. By which I mean, it is a great thing, a great artistic object who has been discussed to death so much that I hate kind of discussing it anymore. But when you okay. go back to it, it is wonderful, and it it deserves a lot more than it gets. If that makes sense. Like, okay. like, like, I've never played Bioshock, so I wouldn't know. Uh, well, let me just put it this way: like, I had a friend who took a like video games as as art class or whatever, and they were like, like w- when they did their final like uh, like uh, written piece of the of the class, they were specifically told you cannot talk about Bioshock. I've had too many essays about Bioshock. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, and in the same way, I feel like if you were in, like, a first-year film student vibe, you would have too many essays about Fight Club. About Fight Club, yeah. Which is not to say it's bad. So what's Fight Club about? Fight Club is about, uh, it's about, like, the way society is, man. It's, <laughs> it's about, like, 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 masculinity and, like, the destruction of the American male. That's actually not true. It's actually not about that. It's kind of a masculinity, but I think that, unlike uh, Palnick's book, which I think is a much weaker work... Fight Club is actively... I have not read it. It's bad. Uh, so is everything else he's written. He's a terrible <laughs> author. But it's also like a, like the worst kind of Edgelord. Like I think he's, I think he's like actually kind of borderline alt right now. But uh, Fight Club, the movie, is actively critical of the way that it presents its masculinity. And I think the way it uses like clear homoerotic uh, undertones and the fact that Brad Pitt is wears nothing but like the gayest fucking outfits you've ever seen in your entire life. It's like it's it's like um it's like almost Hunter Thompson drag. Yeah, yeah. That is uh totally true. A little bit. Later on he wears a fur jacket with a like mesh shirt underneath it, which is a badass look and also I think complicates gay as hell. A, yeah, it's very gay as hell and it complicates what should be <laughs> a, what, what I think may, maybe most people think of as a very simple reading. Which is like, hey, society's fucked up, man. Yeah, I mean, you, you watch this movie, and Brad Pitt is shot pornographically in this fucking movie. 1,000%, yes. The camera salivates at him. <laughs> and, you know, this is 99 Brad Pitt. This is a handsome man. Is a man worth but, salivating yeah, over? To, I mean, I've, I have watched uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. F- 20 years on, he's still a man worth salivating over. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I mean, you're exactly right on about that. I think, like, from the outside, this is a we live in a society movie. It's, like, mm-hmm. but when you actually start picking it apart, it's a lot more complicated than that, and there's a lot more interesting threads going on. Like, yes, it is anti-corporate and anti-materialist in the, uh, in the what do you call mm-hmm. it, consumerist sense, not in the philosophical sense. But right. it also has some very active criticisms for the way that we are criticizing those things. Like the way that project mayhem chooses to criticize those things is also criticized. It's shown as being in a very ineffective way. It's being a way that actually just reproduces the old ways of the, the old things that are hurting people. It's not actually liberating. It just feels better because it's allowing these men to 
essentially play act a form of masculinity that they've been taught to believe is the way they should be. Like, like Brad Pitt has that fa- like famous kind of monologue where he's like, we were taught we were supposed to be like movie stars and all this kind of stuff, but we're not. And we're pissed off because of that. But they're just buying into a different narrative. They're buying into right. this other narrative of like this uber competent independence man, this, this masculine man who fights and is violent and has no feelings, has no emotions. Well, the, I mean, the cosmic joke of the film is that like, there's like, like 50 of these guys who believe the same thing and do the same thing. In the same way. It's like, have you ever seen um, footage of uh, Rage Against the Machine playing live where it's a whole crowd singing along saying, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me? I mean, and it's, it's like it's pretty funny. the most weird, ironic thing you can imagine. This, this whole movie is that. I don't usually like to read my own shit on the show, but I will because I'm very, I'm very fond of this uh, letterbox review. I wrote of this when I rewatched this movie mm-hmm. two whole months ago. Um... Uh, it goes, uh, normal brain, this is about consumerism. Expanding brain, this is about toxic masculinity. Galaxy brain, this is about the seductiveness and deviousness of red-pilling and cults of personality and radical movements. Cosmos brain, this is about an MLM scheme. <laughs> I do like that review quite a bit. <laughs> and the, that And that is specifically what stuck with me this time around, which is the whole sort of uh, the seduction of a charismatic leader um basically um using the language of liberation in order to basically uh cast control over this group of men who are sort of to take advantage of these men who sort who are sort of in like a a desperate situation if you will mm-hmm. i mean that's I, the that's the thread that stuck with me this time certainly and the the i had a similar one that stuck with me this time which is um to borrow a phrase from i forget who i apologize it's some philosopher probably but um there's this phrase I really like, which is capitalism capitalizes, by which is meant uh, the most anti-corporate, anti-capitalist like thing you could create is just going to be co-opted by someone using the same forms of capitalism. And essentially, Project Mayhem, like you're saying, creates a multi-level marketing scheme for anti-capitalism. <laughs> and it makes sense that this there is a movie thought of as like a, like a reaction to... Gen X values and like the way that uh, Gen X values were co-opted. Like you think about that 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 drink. I think it was like a soda in the '90s called like OK, which is like the, OK soda. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> which is like oh, we're getting like the the anti-marketing marketing dollars. Which is uh, obviously a joke mm-hmm. that like uh, Bill Hicks made. It's Bill it's that Hicks, obvious, right. but still, it's a it's a good joke and for a reason. Like that is such a common thing in the way that it's a very '90s thing. Not that it's not still ongoing, mm-hmm. but it feels particularly like this is a very, uh, it, it's definitely a movie of its time. It it's definitely kind of a '90s lightning in a bottle thing, and not just sort of the visual and sonic signifiers and a lot of its ideas and the way they're presented. Well, I think that like the '90s was the first time that that really became apparent to people. Like when you saw the alternative like movements dissolve and just become corporatized, it's I think mm-hmm. one of the um, first examples in like in after the flourishing, the real flourishing of neoliberalism, it was that one of the first examples where it was like, oh, the corporate machine can just take whatever we give it and make it into something else they can sell us. 
like sure gr- yeah sell 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 back yeah. yeah like riot girl and grunge music might have been this like radical thing for like two years until all of a sudden every major label was eating up every single band that they thought they could make money out of and they made there there's like that one famous car commercial uh i don't know if it's famous i just reference it a lot i don't know if that makes it famous but uh we're like there's this like grunge guy and he's like pointing to this car and he's like this car is like punk rock that is the 90s and that <laughs> is right. this movie and I think it's this movie expresses it in a very complex and fascinating way. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, watch it again if you think you're not not on board. Watch it again. And also, even if even if it didn't have those layers, which I think it does, I think it's a very like you said a, a richer text to pull things out of. I think there's a lot to look at here. It's also the fact that stylistically, it's so invigorating and fun and fascinating. Yeah, it's um, it gets a lot of mileage out of uh, it, it's it's very show off. It's very eager to please stylistically. It does a lot of shit. Yeah. So, good film. Very good film. Good film. Uh, is it is it better than The Handmaiden, though, is the question. Now, this is the first time I saw this, because I didn't see it when it came out. Same. And what a wild ride it was. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I didn't expect to be as goofy as it was. It's pretty, it's pretty out there. It's pretty... It's, it's like kind of everything up to 11. Like, like, even like... This is a film that includes... Grotesque torture includes grotesque torture. The the most like male gaze sex scene, like lesbian sex scenes you could imagine. Yeah, it, it includes. Yep, sure does. Like bumbling physical comedy, and also like high melodrama, and and three different twists that yeah. all happen like in succession. I don't forget the sex pantomime. You're correct. Yes, the sex pantomime that is also turned up 100 percent to 11. It's. <sighs> I I I I think if this were made by a less talented director, it would feel like a mess. Yeah, but since this is so, all of this stuff, like the grotesque torture and the and the bumbling comedy and the weird and and like the like explicit sex, it's a Park Chan Wook film. Mm-hmm. And Park Chan Wook can make a movie. I think you'll agree with me. Sure can. And I don't want like I think I said this somewhere was like I don't want to be all pretentious and say oh man great use of great use of the frame good mise en scene in this film but goddamn does the frame look good in this Hot film to, like uh, there's so many amazing sh- like there's great insert shots there's also a couple wonderful scenes of like you see kind of straight on doors opening and then others doors opening behind those doors and you see you get these layers and layers of frames going on it's very much like when we talked about Ozu yes exactly. There's also there's also like a twenty second scene in this film where it's just a wide shot of a room that's held as I guess like a cloud goes by, mm-hmm. and so the room goes dim, then becomes light again, and it's like, yeah, I'll just throw that in there, man. Yeah, like yeah, it's great, it's wonderful. There there there's so there's what, also POV shots from the point of view of a uh, of a pussy, of a vagina. Well, um, you can say what you yeah, want. Yeah, here's a, this this is what it, in I, this house we say pussy. I, all right, okay. <laughs> It just occurred to me that this is just a Brian De Palma film, but like classic. But like good. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm being an asshole. I, I like a couple of Brian De Palma films. He also made Blowout, which, you know, hey, that's a fucking movie right there. I mean, Blowout is legitimately one of the greatest films ever made. And I, I am on record as being a guy who likes a bunch of those Brian De Palma movies. But yeah, this is like... I really want to um, see what you think of uh, Mission to Mars. That's a completely different subject, but... I think it's <laughs> one of the worst films I've ever seen, but I feel like you might like it. I feel like that'd be an interesting discussion. Uh, there's a lot of people who go to bat for those. There is, yeah. For, well, for that one specifically. Especially in, uh, like, Europe. It's a very... He's a very French director, in a certain sense. 
Yeah, I think a lot of the people who liked Domino from this year were a lot of Europeans as well. But we're not talking about Domino. We're talking about The Handmaiden. Mm-hmm. So what is The Handmaiden about? So it's functionally... It's it's basically I I mean I said Brian De Palma but it's like a, it's it's a Hitchcock film mm-hmm. it's it's uh it's like it's a con film until it becomes a kind of like weird love triangle film until it becomes like a like a not a heist film but like um it becomes like a chase film basically so it's this it's it's this genre turducken that is cranked to eleven on all dials eleven physical comedy eleven sex. 11 mise-en-scene, 11, it's, it's a very sumptuous film. It, it is, it is as one of the protagonists might say, like a ripe peach. (laughs) Yes. It is, it is this beautiful, confounding, erotic, um, clockwork object. It's, I didn't watch the long cut. I watched a shorter cut, which is like two hours 30. Same. And I was riveted from the first fucking frame because it looks so fucking good. It's gorgeous. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. It's a it's a fascinating film to watch. There's always new things unfolding. And I think that there's basically nothing that the film doesn't nail. Yeah, I think there's, 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 I, what did you say it was in the chat? It was like sort of, um, it was like well-made trash it's, or something it's, yeah, like it's, that? Yeah, it's like the most pristine trash. And that may be one of my favorite kinds of movies. Like this, like, like glossy sort of art house damaged pulp. I mean, if I may, David Fincher, that's what he does. Yeah, like, exactly. Zodiac right. exactly is a pulp ass fucking film. Seven is a pulp ass fucking film. Like Gone, Gone Girl, Girl is literally like a like a like an airport novel. But So yeah, so ba- so basically spit shined trash mm-hmm. is maybe the official genre of Mill Brown <laughs> I, I I did want to say real So quick. I don't know if you want to get into like well, I want to say before we um, got out okay. of the Handmaiden that um, earlier I did um, call the sex in this and the, how the way the sex is shot very male gazy, and mm-hmm. I I feel like the use of that term has become inherently stigmatized. Where okay. I don't feel it necessarily has to be. Like I don't mean that negatively. I think that okay. would I would I have preferred if this movie was directed by a woman with the same filmmaking skills as Park Chan-wook probably but also like there is a value to the way that uh that he shoots these scenes and that he is that he clearly has like a boner for half the movie i think it's actually kind of sure. wonderful and rewarding like there is the early scene uh with the bath that is one of my favorite scenes that i've seen in a long time like as as much as this movie is like just straight up horny and like just titties in the screen there is evidence in this film of like a restrained eroticism in this film. Yes, there is. And that scene especially is where it shines. Uh the scenes where they're taking off each other's sort of layers of of clothes, mm-hmm. of robes. That's another one. But there there's also the sort of like holy shit titties on the screen moments in this film. Yeah. Where it's just like like as you say, like air quotes male gazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, I did just want to get that out there we, that I think that there are, there's uses for that, and I don't always want to. I want to use it as the neutral, actual like film crit term, and not just as the uh, the loaded term that it's become. It's interesting that it's like there's literally like a point of view shot from the one character looking at the other character in the bath, directed by a guy, which makes it kind of like this complex sort of knot of uh, of of uh, of point of view. Certainly. 
I mean, like, w- uh, weirdly, the thing I'd compare the sexiness the most to, this is another weird comparison, is like Barbarella, where it's like <laughs> kind of over the top, very strange, but also like sexy and clearly like clearly male gazy, but also in a way that I found personally rewarding and interesting. Yeah, Roger Vadim famously giant horn dog. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that was my final piece on The Handmaiden. Do we want to decide whether that or Fight Club is going to move on? I want to hear what you have to say about this. I'm generally conflicted. I like coming to this. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know which one I'm going to choose because I, I like both of them quite a bit. Um, they're both they're both mm-hmm. four star movies for me, not five star movies, but they're both four star movies for me. I think that it's really for me, it's a question of trying to me actually thinking, well, what are we going to talk about next time? And Fight Club has more text, but The Handmaiden has more filmmaking. Yeah. And one of those is easier to talk about on the podcast. But also, I really like The Handmaiden and also lesbians. So, I mean, how do I deny that? You deny it by giving David Fincher the win. Does he deserve it, though? (sighs) David Fincher, as a filmmaker, 100% deserves to be represented in this bracket as far as... His movies can certainly it's and and he and he I will easily a, win next round if that's what we do. Whoever wins here wins the next yes. round. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, like I just uh, because the Handmaiden is virtuosic in a way that I don't think Fight Club is. Even you know what? Even though it's a great, film. I thought of a great way to decide this. The Handmaiden has a second cut that neither of us watched, whereas Fight Club would be true. watching the same a- cut we already saw. I do like an upset. So. Ah, oh, God, I don't want to see David Fincher. I don't either. But, you know, that's kind of IMDb's fault. They should have put his better movies on the list. It is. It is. Uh, with It is with a heavy heart that we bid adieu to the God David Fincher. Uh, tough luck, man. It was literally just the luck of the draw. Yeah. And also Isabel's insistence that your name move on to round two. Um, and, it, uh, and we... Uh, Crown the and we crown the handmaiden the victor of this particular matchup. You ever this is this is probably not going to get cut. You ever um start looking up something and you find that like there's a whole community that's interested in a thing that like you couldn't imagine everyone actually caring about. For ex- oh, all the time. For I example, just, I just assume that people are into wild shit. I uh, just found uh, a whole website of Blinks the Time Sweeper fan fiction. Come again? <laughs> you know, you know, Blinks the Time Sweeper. I have no idea what the fuck that is. It's a, okay. No, no. So Blinks times. What the hell is Blinks the Time? Do you remember sweeper? the golden age of uh, mascot platformers? No. So, you know, you, wait, like, like, like Bubsy or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 you know, Mario. You know, Sanic. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's you got your you got your Bubsies. You got your Crocs. You got your sure. um Gexes. Gex. Yeah, I was gonna say Gex. Uh, my favorite of all of them. Um, and you also had uh, uh, a little cat who could. He's a time sweeper. He uh, came at the very beginning of the uh, original Xbox's release cycle. And uh, it was a moderate hit that was moderately well received. It is the most, it is a middle brow like video game, like a middle brow as fuck video game. It's fine. Oh, we should do middle brow games after this. Great. We got to like, like play 20 hours of each one to get to the end. Wonderful. Exactly. Um, but. <laughs> Uh, Blinks was little loved, little adored. Uh, there was not really any Blinks fans, or so I thought, until I uh, I searched Blinks fan fiction. 
Which, oh, to be fair, that was my fault. I realize now. Uh, but there's quite a bit of it. There's actually a Blinks of Time Super fan site, which has still ongoing fan fiction. The last update, Derek, guess when it was made. I'm going to go with November 4th, 2019. Oh, no, you're, you're being a little too generous. It was uh, May 23rd, 2019. But still, okay, for a video summer. game released in like 2001 <laughs> that no one has thought about since then, I'm, I'm impressed. Good job, Thin Minty, for Guardians <laughs> of Time. Shout out to Thin Minty. Uh, the Tom Toms are at it again, disrupting time and stealing crystals. It's up to you and Blinks to stop them, but the mission takes a turn for the unexpected. Not in a sexy way, because that is rated K+. I was going to say, I never. that was like one of the things that kind of passed me by. Is like, I never wrote fan fiction. Neither did I. It was never a thing that I really got into. Um, I read fan fiction, but I never like wrote it. I, I like, I like, like sparingly. But I am like 100% legitimately surprised that you didn't have like, like eight months where you like intensely wrote fan fiction. Is it because I, do I strike you as a fan fiction person, Derek? 100%. Well, thanks for that one. I mean, it's a value-neutral judgment. Okay. doesn't sound that way, but I'll, I'll, we can move on, I guess, from Blinks of Time Super Fan Fiction. So, so do we have anything, uh, do we have any, uh, any uh, follow-up or housekeeping to do before we, we go on our merry way? Um, and we got to do plugs. We've got to do that kind of stuff. Um, we got to let people know what the next uh, matchups are. And mm-hmm. um, I do have uh, one email. All right. So, uh, so I'll do the... Uh, we'll do uh, next matchup email plugs sign off. Okay. So next time on episode twenty one, uh, we've got two fresh fresh out the oven uh, matchups for you. We have ooh we have two thousand and one a space odyssey versus Finding Nemo, and the Intouchables not Untouchables, which I think would have been a better movie, but the Intouchables versus Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Oh, it's going to be shit. It's, go, it's going to be a wild one. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to defend one of these movies, and you might not be expecting which one it is. I am. I know already because <laughs> you know already. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. This is we are getting like the middle of the bracket. There's some weird shit. There's some wild stuff in this p- section of the bracket. Sure is. I'm peeking ahead a little bit. This next run of episodes is going to be real interesting. Is that for us to do some emails? Uh, yeah, we got we got some. Despite the fact that we were off air for several months, we still have some stuff in the inbox. To be fair, this has been in the inbox for like three months, so... <laughs> Doesn't matter. Sorry for being on hiatus so long. I had brain problems. My brain was like an old jalopy that I had to like, like put some weird parts into to try to get it to start going again. Um, but you're good. Uh, let's not say that, but I'm going to have to do this Are podcast. You better? Okay, I'm glad. I'm I am, I am glad you are in a position where you could do this show because I really like doing this show. I do too, Derek. So this is from uh, Cantankerous in Kentucky. What's up, Cantankerous? Um, they uh, gave us two things. Number one was a vegan recipe, which I'm not going to read the whole thing like I did last time because that was not funny and a waste of all of our time. But we will add a, we will add a link. It's uh, we will. We will add a it's for uh, it's a sheet pan vegetarian summer bowl and it looks pretty delicious honestly it's got some some broccoli it's got some uh, tofu uh, got some uh, peaches I mean how can you go wrong chickpeas Ooh. like hot damn I like all those things I like all those things too <laughs> um, but uh, movie wise questions how good is Pacific Rim Derek how do you think 
good enough. Pacific Rim is a middle of the road movie. <laughs> it's 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 fun. I mean, I saw it in theaters. I had a great time. It's it's about what it's about what you'd expect from like a Guillermo del Toro kaiju movie. I see. I think it's worse than what I expected. Like like eh. like I I have that's to be fair. It's because it's Guillermo del Toro, and I have high expectations for the man because he's he's good at making movies. But I'd say that Pacific Rim might be my least favorite of his movies. More than like Mimic, and like the, the, the probably Mimic's lower on the totem pole just because it's got less of that flavor. But uh, Pacific Rim, sure. Um, I mean, I, I can't think of another Game of Thrones movie I'd put below it. Can you? Uh, no, I don't. I, uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the first Hellboy. Oh no, I think that's, that's wonderful. Also, but I'm also biased because the second Hellboy is my favorite Game of Thrones movie. Hellboy Two is pretty. Hellboy Two, Hellboy Two is a masterpiece. Um, also, just uh, there's another note in here. Um, sorry, we don't really have strong opinions about Pacific Rim. It was fine. I, I, it's 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 it, it, I I do recommend like if you haven't seen it, do watch it. It's fun. It's, it's really fun. fun. Yeah, I saw it in theaters. It was gr- I saw it while kind of drunk in the theater, and it was wonderful. That may be the optimal way of watching yeah. the movie. <laughs> um, but also uh, in this email, uh, this person here, a cantankerous, says, "I'll ship out Cincinnati chili seasoning packets if y'all want, which are really good." And Derek needs to experience Cincy Chili and provide shipping addresses for the free chili seasoning. Hey, Derek, don't do that. Cincinnati Chili, sorry, cantankerous. Cincinnati Chili is the worst fucking thing you could ever eat. I'm not familiar with uh, this food. It's you know, like spaghetti. I love spaghetti. What if spaghetti was bad? Oh, That's Cincinnati well, Chili. Yeah. That's I feel like like that is is there is the most controversial thing I've said. Is there is there pasta in Cincinnati chili? Uh, have you are you really like not familiar with this at all? No, because I just eat regular ass chili. Oh. I'm not familiar with the local variant. Yeah, it, it like it is on pasta. It's it's on it's on spaghetti or hot dog. It's really what you put it on. But it's like it's like sweet, sweet. Yeah, a sweet chili. Uh, because okay, not like. So it's not like earthy or, or, or like savory. It's sweet. I mean, it's a little savory, but it's got like cinnamon and nutmeg and allspice in it. I mean, I put that in my chilies, so. Really? Yeah. Man, fuck off. Well, ci- What's well, wrong well with cinnamon. Well, c- well, not a ton of cinnamon. And in some home recipes, unsweetened dark chocolate. Ugh. Ugh. Now, I don't put chocolate in my chili, though. Like, I don't put sugar. No, but. Like, I put, like, I, I put cinnamon a little bit. But that's more for the earthiness and not necessarily the sweetness. I would not put cinnamon in a chili. That's just my opinion. Uh, generally, I, uh, <laughs> like my chili seasonings. Are, are we going to get into this? This is dumb. <laughs> I mean, I don't have like a li- I don't have a list of chili seasonings at the, at the ready, really. But I mean, like, like obviously, like I'm I'm doing a vegan chili, so it's different. But uh, you know, you got obviously you got your tomatoes and your beans. Those are the those are what you need. Obviously, sure. Um, usually like some vegetable stock to kind of like uh, add some in there, make it a little bit, not a, a little bit, uh, soupier. Um, I will almost always use, um, obviously salt and pepper, duh, but also, yeah. uh, gar- garlic, onions, uh, both garlic, sure. go- both the powder form and the actual like vegetable form. I'll put both in there just to like, make sure it's like, Hey, we got this in here. Um, I just use a fuckload of garlic, uh, bay leaves. Uh, I, I, I sure. love a good, uh, bay leaf. Um, depending, I'm, I actually sometimes use oregano, which is weird. I no, I use a, I, I use a, uh, I use oregano as well. Yeah, or I use like, uh, like, like, like sort of your standard Italian seasoning. Yeah, for sure. Um, and like basil as well. I you put a little bit of cumin in there too. Cumin, uh, chili powder, cinnamon. As I See, had mentioned, earlier. I don't like putting chili powder in a chili. I know that's that's heresy right now, but like, I'd see, I'd see, it seems counterintuitive. I will put like a. 
like actually my favorite thing to do is to put um i i have tons of like dried peppers in my house and i will like i I put the dry i'll chop up a bunch of dried peppers and put them in there without boiling them first that way like they boil in the chili i put a fuckload of like like dried pepper flakes oh i put it like a healthy amount of sriracha sauce as well in there that's that's a little that's a bridge too far like to me you got to have like a vinegary hot sauce in your chili I don't like my chili I don't like my chili soupy. I do like it like heartier. So I don't use I don't really use stock. I just use You just reduce it. I just use I mean I just like a little bit like whatever moisture comes from the stuff that I'm using. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, uh I well, cause uh, I put meat in mine, obviously, so the fat from the meat. Mm-hmm. And uh like a little bit like a little bit of oil to start it, but I don't like I don't add I don't add any additional liquid other than like the juices from like the, the tomatoes and the beans or uh, or the uh, little bit of oil that I use. I add just a little bit. And also usually I'll add a little bit of like white vinegar. See, that's the thing. I think you like it more sort of like pickly and vinegary, whereas I like it more hearty. Yeah, I prefer like like, like, a, like, uh, like, like pickly like and spicy. Chili. Yeah, I like I like an earthy. I, I like a spicy, but I like an earthier taste. This is all getting cut, isn't it? <laughs> uh, probably. I mean, you're the editor. Yeah, sure. Um, anyways, well, uh, this uh, was chili talk. Fuck Cincinnati. <laughs> Take that, Cincinnati. Um, also, um, also, usually there's just like tons of cheese on top of uh, Cincinnati chili. I mean, I'll put a little bit of cheese on my chili or a little bit of sour cream, but not, it's not like a core part of the, of the experience. It's a core part of the Cincinnati chili thing. From what I've, from what I've seen, you know, yeah. I shouldn't talk like an authority. I've had Cincinnati chili like twice. Both times it was, uh, I guess that the closest thing I can compare it to is like, uh, what do you call it? Like like sloppy joes, but but like not good. Love sloppy joes. So, uh, but if I ever go Ohio way, I'll definitely try it once because I I'll eat any damn thing you put in front of me. Yeah, sure. I mean, hey, you know, might as well give it one shot. But uh, overall, I'd say you know, stay away from Cincinnati chili uh, unless you're uh, you're you're vibing for it. Anyways, so uh, so that was the food corner, I guess. Uh, how do we close this thing out? Do we have to say like where we're where um, we're from? Uh, we don't have to say where we're from, but we do have to say where we are at. There we go. Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, if you're interested in whatever the fuck this is, uh, you can always uh, visit our. I guess our official website would be on the uh, would be on the noisespace.xyz website, the Noise Space website, uh, which is our uh, nominally our podcast network, which is run by our friend Matt. Uh, you can find us at uh, noisespace.xyz slash middlebrow hyphen madness. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter. We are at middlebrowpod. And you can follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Derek underscore G. And Isabel is at Space Jam Fan. Uh, we are also on Letterbox individually. I am there also as Derek underscore G. And Isabel is there as The Trap's Jaw. And, um, if you want to give us a rating on Apple Podcast, that would be great. We're so small that it will, uh, it will it will count towards something. It does help out, and also just spread the words. If you got friends who like movies or movie podcasts, you know, let them know about us. We are we let them know that we're back, baby, and we're gonna we're gonna do some stuff. <laughs> we are gonna do <laughs> some stuff. We are definitely going to do some stuff. Who knows? We might piss someone off. We might make some friends. Who knows? This this podcast is going to go on for a very long time. So with that, with that, um, I think you got to sign off first. <laughs> oh, uh, I've been. Uh, oh, I never even said my name to start this fucking podcast out, did I? 
Oh, it's well, okay. Your name's everywhere. I'm Isabel Arf. <laughs> and I'm Derek God. I have movies. Be jolly. Have movies. Be jolly. Good night, everybody. Good, Good night. I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> okay. You put a little jazz on it. Stopping so. recording. It's all about the words I don't say. <laughs>